Saturday from 3 to 6. I am back at my normal time for the duration, so uh, you can always uh, tune in if you want to hear it live, if you want to hear the podcast after the fact. I usually get that up Monday or Tuesday, and I put that on Propaganda Report daily along with some uh, weekly podcasts I do called the Propaganda Report with my producer, Binkley. And uh, tell them how they can find that, Binkley. Go to PropagandaReportDaily.com and click on the iTunes or the Google Play icon on the right. Subscribe, rate, and like us. There you go. And I have a special feature up on the website right now. Very special. A, uh, I had this live conversation with Rogue Money. CJ called earlier, and uh, people, just the first time I did a show with them, they loved it. So this is the second time. I think you're going to love it. Check that out. And what we have been talking about is this Vault 7 release. And I just got a call before the break. I wish I had had more time with Michael talking about the the technology. And I think he's right about this. Like, there's basically no doubt in my mind, <clears throat> just from inside sources, that their technology, the CIA and whoever, behind-the-scenes guys, are anyone whose technology is a reflection of U.S. government spending on technology is so far ahead of us that we probably can't even conceive of it. So I remember, and he was saying something about nanotechnology, and I remember a couple of years ago, I, uh, Krista Devias, who's Clark Howard's producer and was my producer at the time, we used to talk about this stuff all the time, we saw this picture of a little, like, it looked like a dragonfly, but it was a drone. The Israelis had created this drone. It looked like a dragonfly. And one time, you know, Atlanta has some like gigantic bugs. And it was like a bug like that. We're like, oh, that could be a drone. And it's true. Like it could be a drone. And nanotechnology, I mean, it could be uh, a net. I- I'm serious. Like it really blows your mind. <laughs> What's actually going? What you think I'm crazy? No, I'm going to start pawning the the flies that I swat in the house <laughs> for the technology. See if they squish. Yeah. They, well, I I mean I don't actually I don't know. I've Who seen knows? some of that stuff too. Little tiny drones. I have not actually. I'm not going to say I actually saw a tiny drone. I'm just saying I probably wouldn't know it if I did see it. Right. But you see actual drones. You see actual drones, which I didn't. I when I first started doing the show and noticed that the FDA or what FDA the uh, the FAA had authorized um, to tens of thousands of drones for the end of this decade I was like well where are they all well they're coming you know obviously they're coming because they're licensed to or whatever authorized being planned for so that's a good tell I see them all the time in the sky like on a regular yeah. basis now Yes, it's kooky and uh, a little freaky. I think they have to keep them at bay because it'll just start freaking people out. That Once they have total, absolute total control, I think they can unleash it. But here's a weird thing about technology developed by the government. It People don't understand, I think, how much of 
this job killing technology comes from the government. It, it, it theoretically, like my, I'm a hardcore free market advocate, and theoretically, the market's clear. So if there's if there's labor available, private corporations, private enterprises will not choose capital replacements for labor until labor gets super expensive. So at McDonald's, they're going to have people working the cash register rather than replace it with an iPad uh, for as long as that makes economic sense. And in order for them to actually invent an iPad from scratch just for that purpose would really take a long-term, you know, big plan long-term that there's like some kind of labor shortage coming. And And so what the government... What happens, why I've always objected to government research and a lot of it, like paying for for the government subsidizing research anywhere, is that it screws up this market clearing for labor. And one thing uh, I was, as soon as I scratched the surface on this, the evidence was overwhelming. So I didn't make a big study of it. Anybody who's interested can find it. Uh, Driverless technology, the sensors and stuff would never, and voice to text. These are things that were never going to be viable for the private market to replace human beings dictating or driving or anything like that. That just was never going to happen. And because of government funding, maybe the DOD, the Department of Defense, I know did a lot of sensors, like driving sensors, driverless car sensors. Those things are going to take, those technologies result in, they kill jobs. And I've noticed this trend. I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal today, uh, this week about, artificial intelligence they talked about how they always talk about how artificial intelligence robotics technology are stealing jobs and the punchline nine out of ten times i anticipated the punchline and it was actually in the wall street journal article i didn't even think it was going to be in that same article and it's been coming from the right from the republicans anyway i hardly even call them the right anymore but it's coming from then this idea of a basic income payment they're justifying basic income payments where the top half of the country or whatever, Top people who earn money pay a tax, but everybody, whether you work or not, gets a check from the government. And that, so if you're a high-earning person, you pay half your money in taxes, and everybody, from the richest to the poorest, gets a check for $30,000 a year. So all the poor people are now middle class, and all the rich people got the 30000 back, you know, that they they overpaid, basically. It's this idea of a basic income, and it's it's popping up in other countries it's popping up here it's weird because the republicans are talking about it. martin feldstein and james baker i think it was were talking about having a carbon tax and resulting in that i saw in obamacare they have this idea it's it's they're whittling away at it they're making it more um income and age specific but they're taught they they're going to write a check to everybody to subsidize their insurance payments irving crystal the father of neoconservatism said the two things that he would want for the conservative welfare state that he envisions is some kind of universal health insurance and this idea of children a child's basic income payment for children so i this technology stuff that the government, so maybe this Vault 7 thing results in a huge windfall of extra cyber spending at the government level. These technologies transfer to the private sector and really, not only do they steal jobs, they create this dependency class, a dependent class that they're already trying to lock in forever with this basic income. Is that, 
Binkley, tell me if that you could follow that. Does that make sense? Because I know I, it's a big idea. I've never introduced it before, but I really, it's getting louder. I keep hearing more about it, and I, and I feel like the signs are everywhere. Total dependency uh, by, you know, offering people something free, essentially. Yeah, and what, what happens is they give everybody a check, and they say, well, this will solve all the problems because I'm giving you enough to buy health insurance. I'm giving you enough to eat, to buy uh, schooling for your kids. I'm giving you enough for all that. But, of course, when people squander that, you know, if you're going to do that, you better make sure people don't decide to take that money and go on drugs. You know? Yeah. Then you're going to end up with people in the street again, and you're going to look like a jerk for not helping them. Whereas this country has trillions of dollars that's supposed to take care of that problem. And foreigners are like, wow you guys really have so much poverty. It's like, yes, I know, because they steal all our money and they squander it. We would help these people. We have no extra money. Right. You know, and they're not doing it on purpose. So I, I fear it. It's weird that it comes from the Republicans, but, the, the, you know, it's just weird. I don't, I don't, I haven't really cracked the code on it completely. I want to go to a quick call. Don't worry, Robert. I am uh, not going to demand that you answer my a theory about the basic income. Robert, you are on the air. How are you doing, Robert? Uh, yeah, good afternoon. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Hey, um, I, you're talking about a 30-year timeline. I don't know if this is directly applicable, but there was a study done by the Air Force at Air University in 1995 and 1996 titled Air Force 2025, where they try and predict for purposes of manning and budgeting capabilities out into the future to identify the threats at that time. Uh, as part of that, they also pointed out some technology which was either in the works or envisioned as possibly coming into existence around that time frame. And you talked about some of the microbots or using large satellites to um, position mirrors to turn some turn night into day for the purpose of the attack to go back to night. So th- th- there are some things that have been out there. Look at the Air Force 2025 study. Just Google it, and you'll see some of the capabilities they envisioned as being possible in that time frame. Do they update this thing? Because that stuff's super cool. I, I want to see what what's on tap for you know 2040. Uh, I've not seen an update. Um, they, um, my guess is probably so because you're always trying to think one, two, three steps ahead uh, of your adversaries. Th- this was done solely to plan. Say, okay, what are the the possible adversaries of the future? And so it lays it out in terms of. Uh, a geopolitical. So you have Saibatsu, or you have the rise of Islam, you have the rise of Russia, and what capabilities would they bring? That's interesting, because sometimes when I read this stuff, like uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski wrote about this American the technotronic era, about how we would have a highly controlled society where all your everything, your three-dimensional life history could be brought up with a keystroke by some operator in some data center somewhere, which is all coming true. But I think he wanted you to think he was predicting it. I think he was planning it. I think this stuff is uh, sometimes their blueprints more than just uh, expectations. But I totally want to dig into that. Got to take a break. Be right back. 800 WSB Talk at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. High today of 61. Tomorrow's high is 51. The weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And I have a McDonald's weekend prize pack for you. A pair of tickets to see Boston in concert with special guest Joan Jett, July 19th at Verizon Amphitheater, produced by Live Nation. 
and a pair of tickets to see Foreigner in concert with special guests Cheap Trick and Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Experience. July 29th at Chastain Park Amphitheater, produced by Live Nation. The first to call 404-741-0750 gets that, and I have time to go to Matt in Atlanta. Hi, Matt. You're on with Monica. Hi. Sorry, this is actually Max. Oh, hey, Max with an X? Yes, with an X. Okay, Max. Lay it on me. Um, well, I was calling. You were mentioning earlier, specifically, I believe it was McDonald's, about replacing the cashiers, the workers there with, you know, iPads or similar yeah, technology. Yeah. Um, and then you spoke for a little while on a universal basic income. Yeah. I was wondering if you thought that that sort of uh, development would be inevitable with the current uh, rate of automation. Well, I think the funny thing is they're acting like it's a response to automation, but the automation is being driven by the policymakers. And this is a big government policy. I wrote a little bit about it. I recently wrote an article when James Baker and Martin Feldstein, like two high ranking GOP affiliates were, uh, we're saying have a carbon tax and use that for basic income payment. It was just absolutely insane, in my opinion. You can check. I wrote the article. It's on propagandareportdaily.com. Uh, so I've been following it, and I feel like, uh, you know, is it inevitable? I think we have to fight against it. That is definitely how it's going. They, they had an actual referendum about it in Switzerland. They're talking about it in the French elections. Uh, They're talking about it in India. I, I just... With a quick search, I could see it popping up everywhere. And theoretically, I can understand how it's a better alternative from if you're going to live in a welfare state anyway, because it gives people more free choices so they can have, yeah. you know, it's more efficient in that way. But like the way they're using it in Obamacare, which is they're, they're surely they're going to make them buy health insurance. And if you read Irving Kristol's book, it's really an expose of the true nature of the Republican Party right now. He talks about how the conservative welfare state is just forcing people to spend their money on certain things. I want to talk a little bit more about the basic income payment after the break because it's an interesting topic and and it might be uh, it might sneak up on us. 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB talk or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez show. You got me excited because this would truly be both an adventure and a learning experience. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, back on track with my regular schedule. And we have been, we were talking about Vault 7, which is this big WikiLeaks uh, dump of CIA hacking tools. And we, the conversation turned to how much far further advanced the government is than what we are aware of, that this stuff is obviously obsolete. Those are not their current tools. We wouldn't even, we probably could hardly comprehend what they actually are capable of. And I, that led me to talk about a little bit of how the government takes all this money through the Defense Department, research at universities, stuff like that, and they invest, even just having an R&D tax deduction, research and development at corporate level, I, I actually think that kind of works against the interest of 
the taxpayer because this stuff subsidizes either directly or indirectly technological improvements beyond where the market would demand them. So if you have excess labor, you do not the private sector does not invest in capital or technological advancements until the labor, the marginal cost of the labor is higher than the marginal cost of capital. And it and it balances out over time. Human resources should always be employed. That's what we want. It's how we get food in our mouths. And because the wage rates adjust to that, you're always going to have basically maybe not perfect employment, but you're going to have a lot more employment than you have now. I mean, you can look at unemployment rates at four, five, six percent, but really look at the the tens of millions of people who, for whatever reason, are not out there working. So they're not using their abilities and being self-sufficient and all that. So here is the government making technologies that subsidize the replacement of labor with capital and technology, and it and it creates the systemic unemployment. Then. You have people in the government on the right. It's like a Republican idea saying what we need to help with this is what's called a basic income. Everybody gets a payment and it's come up in different ways. They uh, Baker and Feldstein I talked about earlier asked for a carbon tax to finance it. Obamacare. I feel like the Obamacare replacement with their payments to people to subsidize their insurance. It's actually just like a payment by a schedule based on age and income. That is a stepping stone towards the basic income payment, in my opinion. And uh, and I think it's dangerous for a few reasons. I wrote an article about it recently. I'm happy to talk about it. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. You could tweet at me. Uh, Binkley, do you have any tweets for me on the uh, basic income topic? Yeah, Dean tweets, basic income follows the same blueprint as defense spending. Create the need for something that you want to sell to the public. Ah, interesting. Yes, it's um, there. I think it's like a dialectical principle, they say, like one, you know, that the dialectic classic dialectic is thesis, antithesis, synthesis. But there's like a version of it that's classic government operation problem reaction solution so they create the problem and then they the reaction is oh there's a problem and then they give you the solution so they created this problem this this uh technology outpacing the labor clearing labor market clearing is uh, in my view absolutely a government funded phenomenon and now the government's saying oh well now we'll do basic income payment and i think what dean is saying is they're they're actually intentionally bringing that uh, problem to bear. And, you know, a funny thing, I've been wondering that they really kick out low skilled laborers. If like if the if the lowest skilled laborers here are illegal immigrants, if that is true and they're kicking them out, you have this floor, this welfare floor of Americans where 40 or 50, you know, almost 50 million Americans are on food stamps. You've got welfare. There was one study that was a little bit questionable, but that basically if you're not making $40,000, you're better off on the dole. That creates this massive amount of unemployment at the low end. 
And if they're doing that, if they've got a basic income payment or whatever, and they get rid of all the low-skilled workers, that in itself creates a could tr- create a tremendous demand for these. We were talking earlier about artificial intelligence, robots. You know, people laugh, but uh, but it's they're what they show us of these like androids. In uh, my view, is probably numerous generations from what they're actually capable of. I mean, Binkley, what do you think? Do you think that they're what you're seeing, like these kind of robotic robots, or are we really in? in I agree that we're like 30 years behind, and I think that they're going to test it within the public before the public is aware. So we're probably going to be interacting with androids before we realize that we're interacting with androids. You really think that? I do. Do you like? Is it because of stuff you've read, or you just feel like, is it like a gut feeling? I, I, I'm just going on the logic of, I, I genuinely believe because information travels so quickly that they can build stuff a lot quicker than, than we realize it. So they're decades ahead of us. I and, believe they're decades ahead of and us. And they have to see how we react to things before they, they let us know that, that things are real or not. Yeah, I do feel like they are much more masterful than people think. If you look at some of the think tank reports, I always talk about the report from Iron Mountain, which they later disavowed, said it was a hoax. But it was on the New York Times bestseller for nonfiction (laughs) in the 60s. And it talks about how they can build computer programs to see how a change, a minor change. This was the example they used, a minor change in the draft law. Uh, this was during the Vietnam War, would um, affect real estate prices in lower Manhattan. And and they said, you know, this is not a negligible impact. It's a real impact. We can anticipate it. We can model for it. That was more than 50 years ago. But then you turned me on to a book by Harold Laswell. Yeah. That said, National Security and Individual Freedom. And I think this was the beginning of making those two things weirdly, like instead of opposites of one another, like libertarians think, it's he actually like fuses it that without national security, you can't have individual freedom. There's some tension in that book. But his but the book, it's so interesting. It's out of print. It's a little bit of a dry slog, I have to confess, but <laughs> I did get through it. And what he talks about towards the end is how he sh- you sh- we should set up this pervasive network of think tanks also uh infiltrate communities with like city council members and stuff to talk this way about this stuff and they they it was very deliberate he was a yale professor he was writing this for the that high level audience on behalf actually of corporate sponsors it was like big corporations that were behind this and he and it and it was very explicit about how this and he was it was like generous like we need to mold society for the good of society and this is how we're going to do it people need to be shepherded through this process it's very it's it's if you it is machiavellian he feel he, he just has such a way of making you feel like he's doing it for your own good but they think about stuff like this, is my point. They think about putting people out there in the community uh, and testing things. I mean, that is also something that you'll find in the psych- PSYOPs, the Psychological Operations Manual. They put stuff out there. They see how they react. They tweak it. You can expand a PSYOP if it looks good. You can pull it back if it doesn't. I think Edward Snowden got the green light like at every uh, you know, vector every inflection point was just like, ah, oh, this this is working like a charm. Go, go, go. Because then all of a sudden he was, there was a movie about him. This is a guy who had like a 10-minute interview in a, in a hotel. And they're like, oh, actually, 
we had spent weeks following around with these super expensive cameras and now we made a movie and won an Oscar. It's like, really, that that's definitely not what happened. You know, like, <laughs> not a chance. But it got just green-lighted, literally green-lighted. So, uh, so yes, I think that's probably right. That, and that's probably what these movies, Westworld, the, the TV shows Westworld and Humans are there to get us kind of like thinking Asking about questions it. about it, yeah. Yeah, so should we... Well, I guess we probably don't have any tweets on that because that was a little impromptu. <laughs> but we have any tweets on the basic income stuff going back to that? Yeah, JBX tweets, basic income. We can only hope that's true. Ah, uh, this, see, people will think that, that that guy's saying he wants a basic income. And my feeling is that the people who want that are, they feel, it was a, oh, it was in, I think it was in Our Enemy, The State by Albert J. Knox, like an 80-page book. It was so good. So was Report from Iron Mountain, like 80 pages. He said, I it just I had to puzzle over this line for so long, and finally I was like, yes, I get it. What he said was, we will always have this problem, this tension, whatever we're talking about right now. Uh, I can't even put a name on it. Uh, while people think a job is something to be given, they feel like they have no control over having a job. They're just waiting for a job. That's why this guy wants a basic income, because he has no control over his ability to work. But, but everyone will work. I mean, everyone can work. I mean, everybody can make hamburgers or sandwiches or drive you around on their bicycle or whatever if the government got out of the way. And ultimately, even if you couldn't, you could, there, there's so much land in this country, you could go find a little corner where you could just grow enough just for you. Eat squirrels. Like the, the uh, Joy of mm. Cooking tells you how to skin a squirrel. <laughs> I had a caller once who's like, I know it sounds redneck, but everybody should know how to skin a squirrel. I'm like, dude, I'm with you. Totally fine. I like stuff like that. So, I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but it ultimately you, you are empowered when you realize your ability to create your own basic income, which is why. This basic income concept is closely tied to the idea of private land ownership from way back. So Thomas Paine, who's like a libertarian hero, in the most parts, people don't realize he was in favor of a basic income. And the Georgists, who are basically anarchists, also believed in a basic income, I believe, because they felt like we hadn't solved the question of how do you own land is it possible for a human being to own land? Now, I think it is, and I think it's essential, and I think that's the core of everything. But I understand the question, like that original property right. It's, it's a very interesting question to me. really don't have time to get into it right now. But I will point out there's a UN document, Habitat One, which says that we believe in private property except for in land. We want no private ownership of land. And if you look at that as the backdrop for these policies, environmental policy, stuff like that, uh, these smart cities, centralized cities, taking your driving away, driverless cars, everything that disconnects you from autonomy, from being able to take care of yourself, from, from living where you want to live out in, the, out in the world on some land and being able to grow your own food. That, they know that ultimately if you don't have that basic ability to grow your own food, they do control your ability to feed yourself, your ability to have a job. Basic income is just another way for them to just control it right out of the box. But ultimately, it comes from them, uh, from you not being able to go out there and forge your own way, think outside the box. And I know, Binkley, even though I have to take a break, I know that you're a big 
think outside the box guy and uh you know that people shouldn't feel constrained by the you know the four walls around us but i think that in reality uh the powers that be want to cut off all of these options for us and that's a very theoretical way of saying I'm opposed to the basic income payment. <laughs> and I will I will wrap it up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's getting colder and colder with a forecast high of 47 Monday as the work week begins. But that could change. So stay tuned for to WSB for weekend weather brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And do not forget to turn your clocks forward one hour for daylight savings time. I am going to let Anthony and Snellville have the last word of the day. Anthony, lay it on me. Yes, ma'am. I just uh, was listening to your program. I heard you mention uh, Thomas Paine. Uh, to me, he was the uh, hero of the American Revolution. I really believe that everyone in the swamp should read his book, Common Sense. I've heard that. great things about that book. It's a little pamphlet, I think, uh, if I dare mention a, a competing radio host <laughs> with the station. No, I think Glenn Beck put that out, uh, you know, in kind of new edition. Yes, ma'am. Of common sense. And I feel like that it, it is full of common sense from what I read of it. It was always surprising to me that Thomas Paine liked this idea of a basic income. Is this the first you'd heard of that, or did you know about that before? Uh, no, ma'am. I did not know about that. But I read Common Sense in 1970. Oh, my goodness. You're you're dating yourself, if I can. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. Uh, this I can understand the concept of the uh, even people who I consider to be like libertarian, the basic income thing, especially people who came out of England or observed England, because they it, it, over hundreds of years the the upper classes basically locked up all the land ownership, and there was no way to access that. That is not the case here. I feel like. There are a lot of legal principles at work, especially the rule against perpetuities, which I cannot get into right now. But that keep the the land for the living, it keeps it moving. And uh, I would not be in favor of the restrictions of private land ownership or basic income. Uh, but I do, I think you're right. Thomas Paine's Common Sense is a good place to start. I'll be back next Saturday from 3 to 6. You can check out my podcast and my Propaganda Report podcast and my articles on PropagandaReportDaily.com. This is Monica Perez. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.